This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? This is the Clap Your Hands Podcast playoff edition of the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Kyle, we've been doing this pod for a few months now. I think every single one we've done, I've had on a hoodie. It's been cold. It's been either raining. I'm in a t-shirt, buddy. I'm I'm loving it over here. I'm now too. It's it's t-shirt season. It's sunny outside. It's beautiful. It's screaming for a drink, frankly, a nice drink outside in Philly. But we are here today to talk about hopefully a series that won't go very long. Kyle, you just came back from Sixers practice. I've been battling Nets uh, podcasters all week. I'm ready to get this series started. Um, so let's dive into it. Before we do, let me just say a few quick reminders off the top to everybody. Thank you to everybody that's been listening. Real excited to go on this playoff ride with you guys. If you're listening right now, go ahead and hit that auto download button. Uh, it gets you all your episodes first. So as soon as they're published, they're right to your phone and you'll have all the instant analysis uh, from what hopefully is a, a quick 4 nothing sweep of the net. So Kyle, what's up, man? How was uh, how was practice? What's the vibe like? Have have people recovered from that awful hype video, or is that just the whole talk of the? Uh, Honestly, I haven't even watched that. You sent it in oh our group chat we have for the podcast, but yeah. uh, don't I, watch there's, if there's one thing I simply don't care about, it's playoff hype videos. So wow, good, let me tell you, news I, almost, is, I almost altered my prediction. It was that bad, but oh come on. Uh, watch it man you know obviously not now but you watch it and you let us know afterwards it was i feel bad but it was it was horrendous yeah i mean i uh i have other other things on my mind (laughs) that's what you're so so overall i'm doing well man you know it's been i I like this week that the play-in tournament provides because i get a chance to take care of all my real life shit uh, well, unlike years, slowly disappearing. So, <laughs> well, yeah, if you guys can see the bookshelf, things are being packed for a, what we hope is a move in a couple nice. of weeks where it's still waiting on some other things. But but yeah, I, I'm now at the end of the week and just like I need to see a game, man. Like, like enough. there's only there's only so many questions you can ask Doc and, and all these guys about how are you feeling? What like what do you think about the matchup? What do you mm. think of Mikhail Bridges? It's like the same shit every day and different <laughs> people shuffle in and out in terms of reporters, media members, what have you. So I'm ready for some games. I've actually really enjoyed the play-in games we got this week. Yeah. The, those were surprisingly good. Um, yeah, that's the, the yeah. upshot is I'm ready for basketball. You were ready for basketball. Practice. I, I think a lot of people are right there with you. Um, you know, I, I followed your tweets uh, from practice. This the various things that were said. 
from the practice. So the one question I guess I do have um, prior to getting into our final predictions, final kind of matchup breakdowns. Uh, if you're listening to this, you know, the game's less than 24 hours away. So, but the James Harden, um, the James Harden health, right? So it seemed like he talked today about feeling better, feeling better than, than he did in the playoffs last time. Um, just kind of what did he talk about? Did you think anything stood out to you? But on a more general sense, how are you feeling about Harden's health heading into this, uh, these playoffs? I mean, as good as you can feel about someone you haven't seen play or do anything for, you know, a week and a half, two weeks, yeah. right? Because yeah. we see, I, it's always so funny. Like we see so little of practices that mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I have filmed a lot of practice video and posted it. Like it was such a huge storyline during the Markel Fultz saga. Like, Oh, yeah. I was essentially part of that saga because I just <laughs> was in there filming every day and I became the guy that people are tweeting at, like, please, more Fultz videos. And it's like, that's right, why you man. went to college, Kyle. Moments like that, you know, yeah. to be the, the beat writer they need. I guess so. Um, but when when you're there time after time, practice after practice, you realize like how meaningless what you see at practice is with, mm-hmm. you know, there are rare exceptions. I do think the Fultz stuff mattered. But like guys who don't, who can't shoot at all, make like 33s in a yeah. row. And it's like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like <laughs> Paul Reed today. I would not want to see Paul Reed take a single three in a playoff game. I think he hit like nine in a row every <laughs> practice from the corner. And like, look, good on him. He's trying to expand his game. He's working yeah. on his craft uh, after practices and things. But so you learn like, hey, James Harden looks good at, in an end of practice drill. Nobody really cares. Like the proof will yeah. be in how he looks against Brooklyn. Now, all that being said, I do think what Harden said and what Doc has said about where he's at, how he's feeling, his approach to these playoffs is very good. Like he definitely is not where he was last season and made that clear. Like, look, I'm really excited for this opportunity. I can be more aggressive. I can get downhill and do some things that are were not possible for me a year ago. And he said, you know, look, this week has been all about doing the right things, doing, you know, sprinting and treatment and weight room work and all kinds of stuff just to build up his body, to keep his body in as good a shape as possible so that when 1 PM hits tomorrow, Saturday, that he's ready and he's ready mm-hmm. to be the, the leader of the team from the perimeter. So, I mean, he's saying all the right things that when he has Mikhail Bridges or, Dorian Finney-Smith or one of these guys on him, we'll see how much of that holds up. Yeah, Harden's an interesting case heading into the playoffs because, you know, last year's playoffs were certainly not good. He had some moments, but ultimately in that Miami game, not good. I think you can, to a certain degree, hopefully write it off because it was his first year with the team. He got acquired at the deadline, like, and he wasn't healthy. So those are things you write off. But as you enter the playoffs and you talk about who has the most pressure, of course, it's going to be Embiid. He's the best player on the team. He's MVP of the league. He's going to be there. But I really do think that these playoffs could get, could come down to Harden's health. Like if Embiid is mostly the regular season version of himself, if the Sixers get healthy Harden, they have a real chance to beat the Celtics. And then I think we both agree they probably match up in some ways better with the Bucs or they, they've at least played them better throughout the year. So it was, even though you're right, it's just practice. You know, it's not a, it's not a true, true answer of how he feels. But going into the playoffs, it is it should be incredibly encouraging for Sixers fans to know Harden is feeling better and what a difference that could make for this team because Embiid has never had a good player with him in the playoffs. Like, not not 
I should. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Jimmy, Jimmy did have a great run. He didn't have a great game seven when they lost to Toronto, but he was there. If he's probably their most important player in that run, honestly, because Joel, as good as he was defensively and as much as it hurt to take him off the floor, Jimmy was the guy they're giving the ball to and saying, look, you got to figure it out. Right. And, you know, I, I think game seven is what it is. But but I guess what, what I should have said was it feels like Embiid has never had a teammate where he played, where Embiid played great in the postseason. And he also got a ton of help from that player. Right. Like you look at Jokic's run to the finals in the bubbles to in the bubble. He got Jamal Murray like on steroids that time. Right. So it helped him make that run. <laughs> And it, maybe steroids are not the best uh, term there. But well, what I mean is if he can get special Harden or at least, you know, 85% of Harden at his best. It's like very good Harden. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like that could be more than he's ever gotten. And the idea of him getting that is so exciting because we've never seen him get that that kind of serious help outside of Jimmy for the one year in the postseason. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Well, I'll say this. I mean, the weird thing, well, I guess it's not that weird, but the funny thing with Ben Simmons was that he was a great first round guy. Like if you look at his numbers in in those first round series, rookie year against Miami, really good. Against Mm -hmm. Brooklyn 2019, he was, I don't know if it was that good, that series. That's a lot of Jimmy, but they were still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and, And look, oh, he, that's not true. He did have a very good series. Like had a great game when Joel was kind of in and out of the lineup mm-hmm. there and they started Greg Monroe and what have you and Jared Dudley and Jimmy Butler. Basically oh yeah. I forgot about that. And, and then when they played Washington, the year that they got bounced out by Atlanta in the next round, another great first round series for Ben. So look, I, I think he's had guys who have played at a high level. And to your point, it's more Joel has never hit a high level at the same time that yeah. somebody else is. And, and look, I think the, the most important thing here is that I think this is the most complete team that Joel's had. It Part of that, though, is just that Joel is better. Like, he is at that MVP, trustworthy playoff guy level where, you know, guys might struggle, the role players might struggle game to game, but he's that galvanizing force that he can carry them through those tough moments where, mm-hmm. frankly, he couldn't before. There were definitely yeah. a lot of moments where I didn't trust him to do so. I think... Uh, a game that people have brought up sort of recently that I agree was a bad one for him was game four against Atlanta years ago, 0 for 12 in the second half. I believe it was the most shot attempts without a make in like a long, long time and a half. In the and, uh, yeah, I was going to say since Harden against the Warriors on those threes or whatever. All those yeah, so, so look, I think it's 
a lot of it's about Joel, but he's just got a deeper team. Like that 2019 team, I don't remember if I actually said it on the podcast, but James Ennis was the sixth best guy or the yes. sixth most important guy on that team. And it's like, dude, if that's your sixth guy, that's, <laughs> that is not a good place to be in. No disrespect no. to James Ennis. So I, I just look, I think big picture, they're in a good spot. If they get good Harden and they need elite Joel because as we've said many times, the three best teams in the entire league are in the East. And if you're going to beat Boston in round two, I know we're putting the cart before the horse, but this Brooklyn series is going to be a big indicator for, okay, James gets off to a good start and he looks good physically and he's able to beat these switches and get downhill and what have you. That's a great indicator for what we're going to see in round two and potentially beyond. And so that like I think that's probably the big storyline of the series. Like Joel's going to get his. They don't have anybody who can really guard him. But James being able to beat single coverage and beat switches and do the things that he did, he's done historically and has done for a lot of this season. That's the most important thing in this series to me. Yeah, I mean, just make sure you don't end the series with Joel in a face mask. Feels like you know. Oh yeah, that's a, <laughs> a positive outcome for him. So you know, I, look, we've talked at length about the Celtics what would be a disappointment what wouldn't all that let's actually talk about the Nets let's let's like talk about this matchup right for for those out there that are actually looking forward to the more X's and O's of this matchup um when you look at this Nets team what like I don't know if you want to give it like a keys to victory however you want to phrase it but now that you've had time to look at them to spend more time on them I know you wrote a uh uh you know kind of a prediction article on phillyvoice.com what do you see as the keys uh, to making sure this is a quick series? It's basically just being the team that you've been all season and not mm-hmm. allowing Brooklyn to junk up the game. So Doc's point this week at practice was that Brooklyn switching is not inherently a problem. Like they have all these six, seven, six, eight type guys that they start and play together that in theory switching is going to slow down Philly's offense, right? So you you run a pick and roll with Harden and Embiid and you put Nick Claxton on James Harden. Very good defender, great switch defender, has given Harden problems at times this season. Now, at the same time, you're putting, I don't know, Dorian Finney-Smith or Mikhail yeah. Bridges on Joel Embiid at the nail. And so you get the ball to Joel there and he's got Mikhail Bridges in sing- single coverage you almost have to immediately double before the ball even gets there. If that happens, James has a shooter to kick to or a cutter who can go into space and you slip and it's an easy layup. So it really is about playing with pace against how Brooklyn wants to play because if they switch, and I would almost guarantee you they're going to switch on on a lot of these actions, you're going to have an advantage somewhere on the floor, whether that's Joel has a great matchup at the elbow there's an open shot for somebody in the corner or on the wing, wherever it is, or James is just going to be able to go by somebody like Mm -hmm. it's pick your poison for Brooklyn. So they're going to try their best to stop that from happening, closing gaps as quickly as they can. And and really the key to this series for Brooklyn is trying to turn the Sixers over forcing misses without second chances for Philly and getting out and running, right? Because we know that Philadelphia's transition defense is not very good. It's one of their consistent weaknesses throughout the Embiid era, the Doc Rivers era, however you want to describe it. And so if they get out and run, they get some easy buckets, and then they can get back and set on defense, 
that's their path to winning. Now, the flip side of that, Brooklyn has not been a fast team. Their pace is down by where the Sixers are for a period of time. That It is surprising because you think, look, it's this athletic, long, younger team. But they haven't forced a ton of turnovers relative to, you know, what their strengths are. They've been very good at preventing threes or at least efficiency on threes, which that can that can be luck more than anything. But it does mm-hmm. make sense that you have a bunch of good athletes who are six eight that they're going to yeah, long arms, get good contests and all that. Um, so I just I don't see. I, I've been saying this all week. Like I try to invent reasons why Brooklyn can make this a series, but look on paper, you just look at it and say they're a bottom ten offense during this time period. They're below average on defense. Mikael Bridges, as good as he has been individually, has not been able to lift up other people. Like him scoring 26, 27 points a game and the Nets not being able to have better than the 23rd best offense in the league, yeah. that should scare them. Because like this guy has taken a sizable leap just with the increased volume he's gotten in Brooklyn, but nobody else is really benefiting from that, right? That's just about him playing better. So if he doesn't have a good series, then you say, well, they're really fucked because they, you know, he's not creating for others in a way that's meaningful. Spencer Dinwiddie is not much of a, a real playmaker as the uh, mm-hmm. the number two there in Brooklyn. And so unless the Nets can really mess with Harden and, and like the, the flow of Philadelphia's offense and they get stagnant or let's just, if we're looking at self-inflicted stuff, we could say, Okay, they double Joel, but he doesn't make good reads. He's not making the passes he should. There's too much hero ball. Maybe his percentages from mid-range drop by five. Let's Mm -hmm. go as far as 10%. And then you're looking at it like, okay, the margins are shrinking. The offense isn't as good. And now Brooklyn can maybe make it into a series. But I just think so many things have to go right for Brooklyn in order to shrink the gap in talent that it's just – it's too big of an ask for them to try to make that up. Yeah, I agree. And I've been doing the same thing all week, trying to figure out, like, how could this be that we're recording a game six pod? Like, how does it get that far? So let me tell you two ways I thought of, and you could tell me why hopefully I'm wrong about those. (laughs) So one concern I would have maybe is that it does feel like the Nets have a lot of good three-point shooters. And, uh, you know, Christian, the, the Nets writer from the New York Post brought this up. Last time that the New York are, Daily News, get it right. News, sorry, my, my apologies to Christian. Um, but it does feel like they have a lot of shooters, right? And it feels like whenever we do a post game pod where they lose, we're sitting here and going, Man, that team hit a lot of threes. So, do you think the regular season defense or maybe perceived struggle against the three point shot by the Sixers is more just a regular season thing, or do you think it's something the Nets could actually take advantage of? It's probably in between there. Like, I don't think it's a weakness to the extent that it's like, oh, yeah, Brooklyn's got their path to winning the series okay, right, right there. But I, I do think if you look at it and you just say, look at all these guys who are either good or very good shooters. And if the Sixers decide, hey, it's 1 p.m. on a Saturday for two of these games, we got to work our way into this game a little bit. And they catch you napping in the first half and all of a sudden they're up 15 points at halftime. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shit, now we got to do some digging in the second half. And right. look, they've proven capable of that. We know we've listed all the big comebacks they've had all year, but it's not something you want to do in the playoffs. It does get tougher against tougher competition, a slower paced game on top of that. So, yeah, I think that's a potential area where 
you let them get hot in the first half, then that carries over to the second half too, right? Like that was that's always a big storyline. It's like you got to try to stifle teams early because if you let good and or confident shooters get hot early in games, you can then play better defense in the third and fourth quarters of games. And it doesn't matter. Like the hand's in the guy's face, but he's not even seeing that. It's all right. in the rim and he's just kind of playing his own game out there. So, so yeah, I think their attention to detail, their rotations, you know, frankly, Joel's willingness to close out to the three-point line are all going to be factors. I think the one good thing for them against Brooklyn compared to, let's say, like Boston and Milwaukee, because Nick Claxton is a non-shooter, the big man who's going to be playing these minutes against Joel is not somebody that he's going to have to go out and meet and say, oh, I have to make sure that guy doesn't make, you know, three or four threes against me. It's all about protecting the rim and doing all the stuff in the paint that he's good at doing and the challenges that he's going to face as a, uh, a stretch defender against, you know, Al Horford, Brooke Lopez, guys like that. Those are still on the horizon for him. So the other concern, I not even say concern, but just the other thing I thought of where maybe it's like, I'm underestimating this with the Nets actually is Claxton. Now he is undersized compared to Joel for sure. Like Joel has the weight advantage on him, but it seems, and certainly the Nets pod I was on was talking him up big, but he's a, obviously a good defender, right? Are we underestimating what the job he could do against Joel one-on-one? Cause you mentioned doubling Joel potentially if they bring an extra defender, if he'll be sloppy with the ball. Do you think there's a world where Claxton can at least hold his own one-on-one against Embiid? And that complicates things because then they do have the perimeter defenders to maybe slow down a hard end. Like, could Claxton being able to stop Embiid one-on-one, like, is that a path or you think he's just too small? No. No, no. So, I no, but I'll, get, I'll elaborate further. So, I think if Claxton is going to make Joel work, it's the other end of the floor. Because mm-hmm. I think his people think of gravity as like shooting gravity. Like what what does Steph Curry do to a floor? Like stretches you out. And then that yeah. creates all this space in the middle of the floor. There's gravity as a rim runner where you know Claxton runs so hard and comes so hard off of those screens that if Joel is not ready to chase him and drop at that speed there's a potential for lobs to go over his head. And then all of a sudden that's two points and you're going the other way. Or if Joel's not as committed to defensive rebounding and Claxton gets, you know, four, six, eight points on second chance points, like that's a problem. And making him work in that way is I would argue even more important than making him work on the other end of the floor, because I think you've seen, there've been matchups like the Hawks series. Joel scored 30 points a game, right? Like had good raw numbers but then you look at like having a chase around Clint Capella for a lot of that series. Like Clint Capella is in that same mold. He's a rim runner, lob target type guy who's going to score on offensive rebounds. He's going to pressure you on the glass, all that. And over the course of that series, uh, Joel outplayed him if you're just looking at box score and things like that. But Capella certainly made an impact on the series. There were games where he games or halves where he played better than Joel. And so Claxton doesn't have to win those individual battles, but if he's making it so that Joel has to think about him, whether that's as a rebounder, defender, switching out and, you know, oh, where is he going to come from as a weak side guy, that then that's ultimately a win for Claxton if he has mm-hmm. to think about him in that way. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the last one, um, I guess the second to last one, is the coaching matchup. Real quick, what do you think about the coaching matchup? I thought it was interesting what Christian said about how, you know, the Nets coach knows Doc Rivers. I think he said they played together. Maybe he was a player when, when Doc was his coach. But any concern in the coaching matchup that maybe he knows Doc and he's going to bring something the Sixers aren't prepared for? Or is the talent discrepancy just, just too big where it shouldn't really matter? I mean, I respect the job that Jacques Vaughn has done. I just, I think it always comes down to talent in the playoffs. Like coaching plays a role. We've seen it have Mm -hmm. an impact in various series under different coaches over the last, you know, five years or so, I guess you could say. Um, But I I don't see Jacques Vaughn as like, oh man, he's like the mastermind that's going to pull out some exotic stuff. Like I, I think his, his best qualities or the, the best things he's gotten over the course of this year is like he took a team that was sort of adrift when he took over for Steve Nash and he got them to buy in and play hard and play defense and do all this stuff. Like that was a big deal for the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving version of the Nets. And I do think he has the buy-in of this group, obviously like they're under no pressure really to win. And so he can play that card motivationally, but you know, you look at it, there are certainly guys that, or there are decisions that he makes that are interesting. Like the uh, Cam Thomas looks like he could score 40 points in every game and he just right. doesn't want to play him for defensive reasons and things like that. Even though he's playing guys like Seth Curry and Joe Harris, who James Harden gets them on a switch. He's just absolutely taking them to task and going to the rim basically every time. So, you know, I don't, I just, I don't see, I don't see like a, I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's shown anything that's like, he's going to pull some out of the box gadgetry type stuff. That's going to throw the Sixers for a loop. I think they're going to play how they play and I think it works for them, but I just don't think it's enough to, to really upset the Sixers. All right. So you have successfully swatted away all my ideas on why the Nets could potentially (laughs) make it a series. So I think we both know who we're going to pick, but before we wrap up this final preview pod, my question for you would be, give me your final prediction. How many games, I guess, just how do you see this playing out? But what's the, the final Kyle Newbeck prediction for this series? I think it's Sixers in five games. I have, right. I have enough respect for the Nets personnel and for Vaughn and all that, that I think they're going to challenge them in a lot of these games. Like, I don't think they're going to walk to five wins. There'll be a couple of these that are probably close in the final, you know, eight to 10 minutes of the game and the Sixers pull away. And I do think there's sneaky potential for a game one loss tomorrow. Like, I, I would not mm-hmm. be shocked if Brooklyn just comes out. Favorites. 
Brooklyn either comes out and shoots the lights out or Brooklyn comes out and catches them off guard. The Sixers are feeling themselves a little bit. We're the superior team. We have more talent. Everyone expects us to win. I believe every single ESPN analyst polled picked the Sixers. There's not a single man or woman on the net. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's pretty rare. Like, I don't, I think most of the time you'll find there'll be at least one dissenter. So look, I, I, I've tried and tried and tried to look for what am I missing here that this could go further, but I just think it is what it is. The Sixers are the better team. I think they're a potential title contender. The Nets are not that. And in that style of matchup, you should win in five games or less. If it goes to six, okay. But if we go any, if we, if this series goes to seven games by any, for any reason, I'm just going to be rolling my eyes at these knuckleheads for not being able to put it away. It would be a major concern for sure. Um, So where I fall down on it is basically I think they win in four games. I understand picking five, weird things happen. The Saturday game is somewhat concerning. But I do think one thing that we've talked about throughout the year, but that you mentioned a little earlier, this team is great at comebacks. So I think even if they do fall behind in a game or even if they, you know, the Nets do come out really hot on Saturday, the Sixers have shown they know how to build their way back into games. And I think that even if you – games that the that the Nets could keep close, like maybe the first game in Brooklyn. If it's in those final five minutes, final four minutes, look, it's a make-or-miss league at that point. Who knows what happens? But I trust the Sixers players in, cl- in crunch time better than I do the Nets players. So I get the five prediction, but I'm, they're a way better team. They're way better. They have way bigger goals. They have way better players. I'm picking them to win uh, in a sweep. And I think that at that point, we'll just be killing what? Like five or six days, unfortunately, until the real playoffs begin, the real like competition uh, with the bo- with the Boston Celtics. So hopefully we're not overhyping this too much. Hopefully they do take care of it quickly. I just I just think they're the far superior team, like point blank period. I agree, and I think really if you look at the Eastern Conference, there is only one series that I think is going to be really contested at all. I think Cavs Knicks, yeah, Cavs Knicks is yep. interesting one, but the, the Celtics are going to kick the shit out of the Hawks. Milwaukee yep. will beat up on whoever emerges from this playing game. The Sixers are going to beat up on the Nets most likely. Now the West is a little different because we're going to get Suns Clippers is going to be awesome. Kings the Grizzlies Lakers series, Kings Warriors, even Nuggets and like I think the Nuggets will probably handle whoever they get. I would have been curious to see Nuggets Lakers. I think oh, I wanted it so bad. I wanted series so bad. Yeah. if we could have gotten that out of the play in, but. But yeah, I I just think there are now that does set up for this could be one of the all time NBA second rounds in history. Yeah. Like I I genuinely think we're on a, a crash course for like a really exciting second conference and NBA finals. But uh, that's putting the cart before the horse. Well, and just it's nice to have there not be a clear final, right? I'm, I'm not like a Cavs in the East with LeBron, a Warriors in the West. Like there it is it is wide open. So as I said at the top. I look forward to the fact that now it is playoff time, um, not just for the second round, but look, like it's going to be meaningful Sixers games that really matter. So I, I'm very excited to be doing uh, post-game pods. They said at the top, if you hit the auto-download button in your phone, you just pull it out real quick and do it. You get all the episodes first. You get them as soon as they're, as they're released. And we're going to be having a lot of content for you, hopefully, during this run to the NBA Finals. So, you know, four rounds of, of pods coming up. So... 
Kyle, uh, I will talk to you after the game on Saturday. Hopefully a Sixers win. And I'll uh, talk to you next time, man. And if they don't win, at least it's at 1 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> amen, amen.